Hi, I'm Laurel. And I'm Akina. Or am I Sophie? (laughs) (laughs) And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find HIPAA violations, surprise engagements, side hustles, and bad paintings. There will be spoilers and some cursing. This week, we're reading chapters 17 and 18 in Persuasion. Yay! Yay! Okay. Chapters 17 and 18. These were really fun. They're so fun. And maybe it's because we had a little break, but I was just so excited to read (laughs) these and talk about them. Yeah, Um, there's actually a lot that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love when Mrs. Smith comes in to the picture and she does like in the second paragraph of uh chapter 17 yeah pretty um, much all of chapter 17 is mrs smith so mrs smith is a friend from school mm-hmm. um that ann went to school with and uh they were friends and then she heard that the the she got married and that and then they lost touch basically and then they got back in touch when she came to Bath somehow. I forget yeah. how that happened. Um, because Anne was visiting an old governess of hers. Oh, and then so, the governess mentioned yeah. uh, Mrs. Smith. Yes. And they got in touch with each other that way. Yes. So then Anne um, goes to visit Mrs. Smith and she learns that um, Mrs. Smith, Smith has been widowed. Her husband died and kind of left her like impoverished, basically. Yes. And uh, so and she's had a lot of chronic illness and um, it's left her basically with a permanent disability. Yes, she's she's renting out a room in Bath where she's lucky enough that her landlord is a nurse. Also, her her landlord's sister. Okay, yes. That's right. And so then she comes in and checks on her and helps her with things like she it sounds like she has to be helped to get up and take a bath and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. so we, we learn about uh, Mrs. Smith's plight and get to go visit her on the wrong side of town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so Anne kind of keeps these visits a little bit secret. Um And not that she's like, you know, she's Anne. She's perfect. She wouldn't actually keep something secret from her dad and her sister. But she just knows that they would like they don't her her family doesn't care about her. They don't ask her where she's going. Right. Um, So and she knows that they would be horrified if they knew where she was going. So she just like does her thing without telling them. Yeah. Um, uh, Lady Russell does know because she drops Anne off often um, on her way in her carriage to doing her own thing. Um, And Lady Russell completely approves of Anne spending time with this person Um, because it seems like this Mrs. Smith wasn't just like a classmate, but she was like three or four years ahead of Anne in school and Anne's mom had just died and she was just like sent off to school at 14 Mm -hmm. and it seems like mrs smith was even like 
she had graduated school, but she was like still there for an extra year or something. So she was a bit older than Anne and she just like, I think maybe also didn't have a mother or something. She was just like very sensitive to Anne and kind of took her in. So like, honestly, it sounds like she was kind of like a replacement mother figure. Mm. And so of course, Anne would feel like deeply indebted to this person for taking care of her and befriending her at such a low point in her life. Right. Or um, maybe like an older sister. Yeah. That she doesn't that, have. That she <laughs> doesn't. She does have, actually, but doesn't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the older Anne. sister she wished she had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she thought like, uh, she thought she like, she had heard, oh, Mrs. Smith like got married and, and, and is living really well. And that's, you know, she thought she had like found her Prince Charming and rode off into the sunset and then found out that she knows like her husband left her with so many debts and she can like barely pay to have like one room. And even though she like actually is in desperate need of like help, like if anyone in Jane Austen's day needed a servant, like she does, she actually does. Yes. Um, uh, or a nurse, but she can't afford one. Um, and Anne visits her quite often, like three or four times before her parents even know. And she finds out that like, Mrs. Smith just takes all of this in stride. She's mm-hmm. like very happy and cheerful and just like, talking with Anne and then it turns out that her friend nurse Rook the landlady's sister takes really good care of her when especially when she doesn't have any clients and Mm -hmm. then when she when nurse Rook does have other like paying clients she'll sell some items that Mrs. Smith knits nurse Rook taught Mrs. Smith how to knit Mm -hmm. and then Mrs. Smith likes to knit it keeps her hands busy it's something for her to do Mm -hmm. and then Nurse Rook would will like sell these items and then it helps nurse uh it helps Mrs. Smith make a little bit of money, but also Mrs. Smith will donate some of the money to even the poorer families in their neighborhood, which yeah. is just shows you what a kind person Mrs. Smith is. Um and Nurse Rook, I feel like very happy we don't see that much of their friendship, but I just get so happy for them. I know like I love that they've got this little side hustle. (laughs) Yeah. And they like take care of each other. And Mrs. Smith just talks about how like when she moved to Bath, she like was even worse condition than she was. And she like couldn't even move in her room. And then Mm -hmm. like the landlady and her sister just took such good care of her, like kind of restored her faith in humanity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I could go on forever about these like, I know. Female friendships. Oh, my God. We have a lot of actually this book, I think more than any other of the of the novels really highlights these really close friendships, the female friendships. We got we got the bro time before in Lyme. And now we've got these really close female friendships. And also and then we like in the next chapter, we'll hear more about like how Admiral and Mrs. Croft are like best of friends, which we already knew that, but it just like keeps appearing. And that's yeah. also so cute. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. So we'll go into more detail in yes. our discussion. But basically, Anne's been going to visit Mrs. Smith and um, her family doesn't know until at one point 
there's a conflict. They're going to go see Lady Dalrymple again or something. They're invited to the house. And Anne has already promised that she's going to go see Mrs. Smith. And she says, I can't go. I already promised my friend. And then this is when they're like, what? Why would you go see Mrs. Smith instead of Lady Dalrymple? This is ridiculous. Her family is aghast. Yeah, Um, her her dad just cannot stop saying Mrs. Smith. Like that's like that's accurate. Her name is an accusation in itself. Yes. yes. And he makes that very clear because he's like, she doesn't have a, a title. Right. She could be one of thousands of Mrs. Smith. Yes. Like Smith there's nothing to common do- name. There's nothing special about her or her family. Yeah. Yeah. And Anna's like, look, Lady Dalrymple sent us this invitation. It's a last minute invitation. Because she probably her plans fell through and were a plan B. Yeah. And um, I had already like, you know, engaged myself to Mrs. Smith. And I'm not going to turn her down because that's the only day this week that we're both free. Right. Because I guess both because Anne's family had other plans the rest of the week. Anyway. Yeah. Her her dad and her sister are horrified, absolutely yeah. horrified. Um, and her dad keeps saying like, why would, why would you make time for this? Like poor woman who doesn't even have a title, who's just like living on charity. And while he's erupting like that, Mrs. Clay is in the room. Yes. Remember that, like, hanger-on of Anne's older sister, Elizabeth? Right. And Mrs. Clay, like, gets up and, like, quietly, like, leaves. Because right. <laughs> Anne's and, like, this is not the only widow here yeah. who is hanging-on to somebody. And, yeah. <laughs> Anne thinks that, but she is so wonderful. She doesn't say that out loud. And she says she leaves it. For her dad to make the connection, which you know her dad is not it's going not. to make. This is one of those moments when I was like, if this was Elizabeth Bennett, she would have said something. <laughs> she would have said out loud her thoughts in some snarky or even passive aggressive way. But yes. no, this is Anne Elliot. She's gonna she'll think it, but she's gonna keep it to herself. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, and so it turns out after the evening is over, um, she talks to Lady Russell and Lady because Ru- it turns out Lady Russell and then also Mr. Elliot went with her dad and her sister to visit Lady Dalrymple. Yes. And her, her dad and her sister are like, see, Lady Russell and Mr. Elliot made time for us, like, they made time. They moved their engagements around. Like, why did you have to be so weird and like miss out? But, you know, Anne doesn't give a shit. She thinks Lady Dalrymple is like a stuffed old lady and doesn't care about her. Right. And it's so boring and awkward. The last time she was there, she's like, I don't want to go. I'd rather hang out with my friends. (laughs) Yeah. And like, she's the kind of person who sees someone who's rich and doesn't automatically then like, heap praise on them for things that they didn't deserve like she thinks lady dalrymple is boring yes which she probably is yes and then uh well so then lady russell sorry they end up talking about uh mr elliot and lady russell is very um very she's she's very complimentary of mr elliot she really likes him and she's hinting at like how much she uh, is wanting 
him to propose to Anne because he thinks that he really likes Anne. Yeah, it was, um, it seems like that whole evening, Lady Russell and Mr. Elliot were just talking together about Anne. Mm -hmm. And Lady Russell's like, yeah, he was really impressed that you kept your engagement with your friend. And he thought that was the right thing to do. And then Lady Russell says, I am no matchmaker, as you well know. And it's like, yeah, we know Lady Russell. Because you, like, <laughs> fucking broke up Anne and Captain Wentworth, you bitch. Like, um, and then she's like, but, like, but if Mr. Elliot should pay his addresses to you, and if you should be ha- disposed to accept him, I think there would be every possibility of your being happy together. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Anne is like, uh, he's like, Mr. Elliot is very agreeable. Um, and in many respects, I think highly of him, but we shall not suit. Yeah. I was like a little bit shocked by it. And then Lady Russell like keeps pressing it and is like, like, you know what? It's really that, like, if you married Mr. Elliot, you would then become Lady Elliot of Kellynch Hall. And, like, that's what your mother was. Mm-hmm. And you are so much like your mother. And it would just make me so happy to see you restored into your mother's place. And, like, that's why I'm saying this, which is, like, great, Lady Russell. I'm glad that would make you happy. But, like, is that a good reason for Anne to get married to this person and spend decades together? Like, well, that point, Anne even says, like, it's just for a minute, Anne thinks, oh, yes. yeah, this is like to be in my mother's place, to feel close to my mother, to be able to take care of Kellynch Hall. Like, that is appealing to her for a minute. But then as soon as she thinks, like, oh, wait, that means marrying Mr. Elliot? And that whole like marriage part, she's like, even if it wasn't true that I'm still in love with another man, she very clearly says I'm still not over Wentworth, even if it's impossible. Like, I can't see myself being with Mr. Elliot. And um, and she she says something that's very interesting. She she says that Mr. Elliot is too generally agreeable which is suspicious to her. She's like, eh, everybody seems to like him. And yet, like, he, she knows that he is suspicious of Mrs. Clay. And yet Mrs. Clay really likes him. So, so there's like this, um, she can tell that he is able to kind of put on airs and like hide his true motives with certain people. And so she doesn't completely trust him, which is interesting. Yeah, I was really interested in that because it was like, I feel like this is the first time where you find out like her true feelings for Mr. Elliot. Because I think in the beginning, she was just like happy that he noticed her or yeah. and like also happy to have someone to talk to. Right. Um, When he visited her and her family. Um, But you really see how she judges a character in this. And she's like, She's just, like, also heard um, hints of, like, his former associates or, thing like, things they used to do. And she's just, like, if he is a changed man, because she doesn't trust, she doesn't trust the way he's behaved in the past or the right. things she's heard about him in the past. And she's, like, 
maybe he reformed, but like he doesn't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like he's not very open about like what really he was like back in the day. And you think someone who like maybe was like playing it rough when they were growing up and then reformed would probably talk about that pretty openly, maybe. Right. Or um, at least bring it up with some kind of embarrassment or something. But it just seems like he's always cool and collected. And he glosses over that part of it. Like he makes like a general kind of excuse and then everybody accepted it right away. And then it was like, okay, pass is forgotten. And Anne's like, wait, I mm, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, she just doesn't trust it. And she's like. Like you said, she's also saying, like, you know, even if he was the kind of person who was, like, occasionally put his foot in his mouth because he was too honest or something, like, she would appreciate that more than someone who's, like, so polished and guarded and makes everyone like him. Yes. And, you know, he'll talk shit about Mrs. Clay and and to Anne, but then be Mrs. Clay's best friend, too. And then it's yes. like, where, you know, he's she like Aaron tra- Burr in Hamilton. The <laughs> I smile. Seen Hamilton. <laughs> what is his line? It's uh, um, say less, smile more. Mm. Never know. Never let them see what you're really about. I'm butchering the lines, but it's something like that. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard that um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's a Nepo baby, by the way? Oh, is not, he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Not to um, not to sidetrack us, but um, the, yeah, he, he's very, I, I feel like when Anne first said like, oh, no, Mr. Elliot and I wouldn't make a good couple. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's really strong language from, from Anne. And even though I know, like, I've read this book a bunch, like, I feel like I'm always caught off guard at that point. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he seems really nice and you guys actually get along really well. Right. Um, But I just find her thoughts when she explains them so well reasoned. I also love that she she throws in there that, like, he's a Sunday traveler. Mm. Which oh right, I googled and I stumbled upon. I think it was like one of those weird like Christian sites that's like, this is what Jane Austen tells us about the Bible. Okay, is it because like you're you're supposed to go to church on Sunday and not do something else? Yeah, but what I really appreciated about this was it meant that not only he wasn't at church but that his servants couldn't go to church and like Uh, by like him keeping them busy that day, that's like their one day of rest and their one day to go to church and do their own thing. Or even a day off just to be with their family. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, Christians, I'm on your side for this one. (laughs) Just this once. Um, Yeah. So she just doesn't trust him. I also love that like lady Elliot, you like, here like lady elliot thinks like as as soon as he's free from all the remaining restraints of widowhood Mm -hmm. he'll be able to propose to anne right like that's the only reason he's kind of holding back and not yeah that he's been recently widowered widowed something yeah and then you realize like 
it's been seven months since his wife died. Right. <laughs> He's like already like crazy on the market. And like yeah. Lady Russell's like, uh, as soon as the year is over, <laughs> he'll run out and propose to Anne. It's like, but we do uh, get the impression that he's being very flirty with Anne. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no, I feel like it's definitely she's picking up like Lady yeah. Russell is pre- picking up on the hints. But it's yeah. just like, wow, his wife has been dead for only seven months. Yeah. Rest, guys. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's that's basically the end of chapter 17. Yes. And then chapter 18, oh my God, all the stuff happens <gasps> in chapter 18. Oh my God, it's so exciting. So we get a letter from yes. Mary, um, yeah. which also comes with uh, the news of the Crofts that they're going to be coming to Bath to visit, which is exciting yeah. and fun. Um but Mary gives a, a whole long letter, and I love Mary's letter because she's hilarious. <laughs> so funny. But um, she basically gives us news that the big news from Lime and Uppercross is that uh, Louisa and Captain Bennick are engaged. Yes. What? <laughs> so Mary's like, can you believe it? I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Mary gives us all the gossip. Um, yes. Yeah. She's like, I thought he was going to m- marry Captain Wentworth, who is infinitely better than, oh, well. She's like, I would have been better to marry Captain Wentworth than Captain Bennick, but Captain Bennick is still better than the haters. She really hates them. (laughs) She's a hater of the haters. Hater of the haters. (laughs) Um, which it sounds like Henrietta, that's her name, right? Am I making this up? Louisa is the one who's engaged to Bennick. Henrietta's engaged to Charles Charles Hater. Hater. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I'm having an Admiral Croft moment where I'm like, there's too many lady names. <laughs> yes. Admiral, oh, that's in the next part where you can't yeah. remember anybody's name. <laughs> um. Yeah. So she's like, thank God she's actually marrying a captain Um. and not one of her like annoying poor cousins. Yeah. Um, who seem lovely and not actually poor. And even if someone's poor, that doesn't mean anything anyway. Right. Um, Mary is just full of complaints in the letter, too. Like, this information comes out, like, kind of late in the day because um, in the letter because she's complaining so much that, like, Mrs. Clay is visiting in Bath and, like, she wants to visit in Bath. But if Mrs. Clay is there, then there's no room for Mary. And she's like, don't worry. You don't need to worry about making room for my kids. I can totally leave them with their (laughs) grandparents for a month or six weeks at least. Right. And then she's also complaining because, as we know, um, Louisa has been recuperating at the Harville's house in Lyme. Mm-hmm. And while she was recuperating, Mrs. Musgrove, the elder Mrs. Musgrove, is taking care of the Harville's children mm. along with her own kids. And so Mary is complaining that her mother-in-law, Mrs. Musgrove, is like, still taking care of the Harville children and saying that they're like boring and like, she doesn't like those children. And like, why does Mrs. Musgrove like them so much? She likes them more than her own grandchildren. And it's like, yeah, cause you're 
you're kids they're probably very well behaved. Yeah, they're probably very well behaved children. <laughs> yeah, and also Mrs. Musco would do anything for a family that's taken such good care of her daughter in that yeah. while she's recovering from a head wound. Yeah. Like you're so ridiculous, Mary. <laughs> but it's just funny to see how upsetting she is uh, upset she is about just about everything she's also mad that the admiral and mrs croft don't visit her enough but then she's very excited because halfway through the letter she realizes that mrs croft is going to go to bath and asks her like does she want her like mary to send along anything with mrs Mm -hmm. croft so she'll hand deliver the letter and mary thinks that's really nice anyway she's just prattling on and on about everything and has no idea the effect this is going to have on Anne. Right. Because Anne's wondering what happened. Anne was sure that Captain Wentworth was going to be engaged to Louisa. And so this, she's like happy about this news. Cause that means Wentworth is free, but she doesn't know how he feels. And yeah. she's like, is he like disappointed? Did he get in a fight with his I friend? Know. Because these two are friends. And like now is, is this girl coming in between them? Yeah, so she's, she's a lot so of questions. worried about that. She's so worried that his friendship with Captain Bennick might be um, unrepairable. If yeah. like, if, if this, if Louisa came between them and she's worried about that because she believes in friendship. Yeah. <laughs> she's always worried about everybody else's problems. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm sure she's also, um, just worrying about everything else because then she doesn't have to think about how excited she is that Captain Wentworth is free. Yeah. Well, and she's thinking about him and his feelings and like, what is this doing to him? Because she cares about him and she's like deeply invested in his what's going on with him. Not just that he's not married, that, you know, there's a possibility open here. There's a little sliver of hope. She's happy that he's not getting married to someone else. But she's worried about him hurting because she cares and she cares about that. So, yeah. Yeah. And she's very kind and generous about Captain Bennock and Louisa because at first glance, they're very different people. Like Louisa is like not unthinking, but she's like very bright and happy and cheerful. And like Captain Bennock, like had the love of his life die, I think, I think maybe six months ago. I don't know. Very recently. And he was already, it seems like kind of like a bookish, quiet person. And then she's like, oh, of course that makes sense. Like their probably their their personalities are probably complementing each other. Also, Louisa had time to sit and listen to poetry for a while. Well, she and- makes the point that, you know, Louisa's had like a head trauma, which <laughs> yeah. can like permanently alter somebody's personality. Yes. Um and you know, in the she's had to be like recovering and recuperating and you can just imagine like him sitting by her bedside like reading her poetry. And them falling in love over Shelley and Byron. It's all very romantic. Yeah. And Anne is like generous where she's like, yeah, I know people thought like Captain Bennick was like attached to me, but it was probably that I was just like a woman that was listening to him talk about his feelings. And like, 
probably any woman would do. Like, I don't think it was anything that, like, I personally was attracting. Right. She kind of says that, like, any, like, sweet young woman that would, like, give him attention, like, he's he's the person who's, like, ready to open his heart to love. He's just, like, a very nurturing type of character. So, so anybody that would sort of embrace that and, like... Uh, yeah, that and be willing to like listen to him, and and he would be like ready to love them. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's so sweet. And also, you're like, okay, Anne, but you're selling yourself short. Like, she knows all the books that Captain Bennick would like, and like, of, I think there was more than just. Um, I think I think it, it, I don't think Captain Bennock would just go for any woman, but yeah, no, I think yeah, I think um, in another alternate reality, I think Anne and Bennock would have made a great couple. I think so too, although yeah. you know, I think that their vibe definitely started more. It, it would have been much more of a slow burn. Like it's yes. not this immediate like romantic chemistry connection it's more of like a friendship vibe right yeah and then it would have been something that they would have had to build over time as they got to know each other they didn't know each other long enough so and yeah yeah i think it would have also been like a we've both been kicked in the teeth this is like our second go at love kind of relationship um also like it's it's obvious that like Anne really liked Captain Bennick, like talking to him and and stuff, but she never lost her feelings for Captain Wentworth. So right. that would have been awkward if they were to get married because then she would have still always been in love with his best friend. So Right. Yeah, because she's like she was um shocked that she realized that like Louisa wouldn't Louisa, even though she spent time with Captain Wentworth, she thinks must not have been sensible to his merits because if you were, then you wouldn't have ever preferred any other man. <laughs> so she just thinks that that is a foregone conclusion. Yeah, because she's in love with Captain Wentworth. So totally, obviously. So, yeah, so she thinks Captain Wentworth is the end all be all, which, hey. I don't disagree. Um, So (laughs) she gets really excited to also see the Crofts and she hopes to see them soon because she was wondering if they like might know a little bit more and be able to provide a little bit more gossip. Also, she just really loves the Crofts, which Uh I do too. Um, But when they came and visited, um, they didn't, mention anything about an engagement between Louisa Musgrove and Captain Bennick. So, um, so she figures like maybe they don't know that yet. Um, uh, the cross are in lodgings, like not too far away and they're in a nice part of town. So Sir Walter Anne's dad is like approving of them. Um, also the cross like at first he he's like complaining that the crofts are going to like latch on to them because uh-huh. because like the Sir Walter Elliot is such a titled and noble person and then it turns out like the crofts have like almost no time for them because 
they're so busy with all their other acquaintances and friends because they seem to know so many people and Bath is full of like naval officers. Yeah. And um, Admiral Croft is a little gouty. And so he's been told to walk everywhere. And of course, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Croft goes with him everywhere. Mm -hmm. So all day long, they're just like walking up and down the streets of Bath. And then they're just stopping to chat with their friends that they come across. And it seems like they're having a really nice time. Yes. And Anna's like kind of jealous. Yeah. Well, they have a... um uh, they have a talk when they fi- when Sir Walter finds out that they're coming and he's like, oh, I know what's due my tenant. I should probably pay a visit to them because, you know, they're going to be known here in Bath probably as the renters of <laughs> Kellen Shaw. Yeah. That'll be their claim to fame. And I should, you know, bestow myself upon them, um, grace them with my presence. Um, but then Elizabeth is like, you know what? We better be careful about associating with them because now we're associating with a higher level in Bath, like the Dalrymples, and we don't want the Dalrymples to feel like they have to associate with the crops. Like, that could be sticky, and they have this whole, like, back-and-forth discussion about it, and then just Sir Walter's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right, and then it's like, the point is moot. They're busy. They don't want to hang out with you. Relax. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> they have much better things to do. Um. And it sounds like they have a great time. And while Lady Russell is like traveling around Bath with Anne, um, Anne often sees the Crofts walking up and down the street and she tries to like find them every time she's in the carriage. And like she looks at them for as long as possible because she just thinks they make such a handsome couple. And she's so happy that they spend so much time together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're getting kind of towards the end of chapter 18 but Anne um is at one point walking by herself back home um and she and she sees Admiral Croft and he's looking at a painting in a window and he's so he's so distracted by it and I feel like a shame on behalf of of my profession (laughs) yeah it's a painting of a ship and he's like what is the creature thinking (laughs) the ship would never have floated like the person who did this is very very bad and i'm like yeah i know i'm sorry (laughs) uh i love this scene so much it's so great (laughs) because it's also like i feel like you can kind of get the sense that admiral croft is always trying really hard in polite company to like suppress some of his um vocabulary and also just like uh be more polite than is natural for him Mm -hmm. um and it feels like with just Anne, he kind of lets loose and he's like i'm gonna walk you home but like let me complain about this painting for a little bit longer and he calls it the paint the ship in the painting a shapeless old cockle shell which I'm just like, I love you, Admiral Croft. He's so funny. And he just rambles on about random stuff. He's just like happy to have somebody to talk to. And he takes her arm and they're walking down the street and he'll go off on tangents. And then every once in a while, he'll go, I can't get over that boat in the picture. And he's just like, can't. he's like, I keep thinking about this ship. I can't. Yeah. Um, and, then he's, and then he's also like, oh, I wish. He's like, it's so weird to be walking without a woman by my side. So I'd really love it if you came walking with me because yeah. 
because Mrs. Croft has uh, blisters on her feet. She and then he's describing how giant the blisters is. It's as large as a three shilling piece, and and he's also like, I have something important to tell you. And Anne is like, Cool, what is it? And he's like, Oh, but first we must like walk by this admiral, and I don't really like him very much. So let's just say hi really fast. <laughs> I love and then that he's like, part. He and then he's like, he's like. Okay, say hi. And then like, oh, no, there's someone else I know across the street. He's really boring. Like, let's like, let's walk fast. And he just like keeps and Anna's just like, what do you want to tell me? Like, I'm she's like dying of curiosity. It's so funny. Yeah, he keeps seeing people that he knows and he's like, oh, I got to say hello to this person. And he'll like tell and this piece of gossip like this person did this and I got to say it. and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. But it's like naval gossip. Yeah, it's like Anne does not care about. She's like, yeah. OK, uh, do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like. Their ship is stupid or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. And then and eventually then, he gets, you know, he said hi to all the people and then they're walking alone. He's like, oh, yeah, I got something to tell you. But wait, I can't remember her name. What's her name? He <laughs> can't remember Luis's name. And he's like describing. And then uh, and then she eventually realizes he's talking about Louisa. It's like, Louisa, right? I think yeah. she knows, like, immediately he's probably going to start talking about Louisa. But she's, like, trying not to immediately come out with the name to, right. like, to not appear like she knows what's happening and right. stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So she finds, she says Louisa. And then he's like, he's like, I just wish they were all, all women were called Sophie because that's the name of his wife. He's like, if they're all Sophie's and that this would be a lot easier of a story to tell. Yeah. I forget every other woman's name, basically. Oh. So funny. Anyway, do you so want to say what he, the gossip is? Because it's so exciting. So, I mean, the gossip is what we already know that Louisa yeah. and um, Captain Bennick are engaged. Yeah. Um, but um, he's like Frederick, meaning Captain Wentworth, like yes. wrote his sister, the Sophie of all Sophies. Yes. Ca Captain Wentworth wrote his sister to tell him. The news. And he's yeah. like, it's so to tell her that uh, Louisa is engaged. And he's like, we're just shocked because we thought he was courting her week after week. And then when she hurt her head in Lyme. They were, it was like, oh, yeah, you're probably going to wait a little while until you're healed and then announce yeah. your engagement. But instead of staying with Lyme, he, Kevin Wentworth went to visit his brother, um, went, uh, Edward Wentworth in Plymouth, which is like pretty far away. And so, and then like he came back and visited the cross and then went back to Edward in Plymouth. And they're just like, it's so confusing. Sophie didn't even understand. Like if your love was like trying to heal from something, you would like want to be by go, her like, side. Right. Yeah. yeah. You would go like half the country away sometimes. Um, right. So they're saying so. So they're he's like in hindsight, you know, this thing that was so confusing to us kind of makes more sense now. But we were still shocked. We we didn't expect this to happen. Yeah. They're like. Yeah, it makes a little bit more sense, but um, because we wouldn't, you can see that they're like, 
Sophie and Admiral Croft are both like, well, if he really loved her, he would have stayed in line because that's their natural instinct is to stay with each other. Yeah. So sweet. So we do get a little bit more information about what's going on with Captain Wentworth. And Anne really wants to know, like, how did he seem in the letter? Was he, like, upset? Was he angry at his friend? Like, she's trying to figure this part out. And, um... And then uh, Admiral Croft basically says, like, yeah, we didn't detect any kind of animosity or anything like that. He seemed he seemed totally fine. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And um, also he, like, gives a little bit of gossip about Captain Bennock's life in the Navy, which is like, yeah, you know, you know, Admiral Croft. I don't think Anne really cares to know what kind of officer Captain Bennock is, but that's sweet. Yes. He thinks he's a good he's a good officer yeah. and a good man, and they're basically like, "Yeah, this is a good guy." Um, and and they're and Admiral Kopp is like, "Of course, you know, I think uh, Frederick is superior, but you know, he seems like a good guy." And he's like, "That's yeah. just my bias." Like, of course, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know he calls Captain Bennett to piano, which I kind of love. I loved then, that description too. Yeah, I was, I was like, like, I'm going to start using this. Back? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like you're being a little piano today. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like in the classical music sense when you have to play something pianissimo Softly. or yes. piano. Or yes. It's just like a little too quiet, which makes sense because you just get the sense of Admiral Croft is kind of being like a weather-beaten, gruff, yes. friendly guy. And he's and, very boisterous and, like, talkative. Yes. Yeah, so anything compared to him would be piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'm sure it makes Anne very happy to hear, both for herself and Captain Wentworth, that he's seems, like, very happy about the whole thing and is not upset at all about Captain Bennock and Louisa. Right. And then, so then they're they're talking about Frederick for a while, and then yeah. this, this cliffhanger... I know! <laughs> it ends with um, Admiral Croft basically saying, telling her that uh, Frederick's going to be coming to bath. She says, do you think, Miss Elliot, we had better try to get him to bath? Yes. Cool. Mark. And then the chapter ends. You're like, oh, is he going to come? Is he going to come to Bath? Oh, it's great. Yeah, because he's like, there's lots of ladies in Bath he could go for. Let's get him out here. He could yeah. find, a, find a new love. <laughs> it's great. So great. I'm so happy and excited. Yeah, I feel like these chapters were just a delight to read. They were full of... um people that I care about that are often in the background, like Admiral Croft, you really get to see him. Um, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Croft, you don't get to interact with as much, but she's mentioned so often. It feels like she's part of their little. Admiral Croft and her are such a unit that it feels like anytime one of them is the room in the room, the other one is there too, even if they're not. And Mrs. Smith is also just like, so delightful. Like she, she talks about like, um and and like and at first just like throws all these like virtues at mrs smith um because she's like well she is just dealing with her hand with all this grace and like and mrs smith is like you know what like when nurse rook 
takes care of me. She often like tells me stories about what's happening in the outside world. And that always like, and also like what's happening with her clients and then yes. the sick bay, which like, you know, HIPAA alert, like there's some violations <laughs> here. But like apparently nurse Rooke just tells her everything about what's going on and all the drama and like, and these like more well-off houses that she's taking care of. And and Anna's like, oh, yes, well, that's probably like probably on like people's deathbed is like where you hear about like the real grace of people where like people are like coming together. And that must be like so fortifying to hear these stories. And yeah. Smith, I mean, Mr. Smith is like, nah. Um. <laughs> It's like actually people are the worst when they're yeah. <laughs> actually it's just like really good gossip. Yes. I loved I loved this the yeah, I when I was reading this too, I was like, oh man, this is really um a story about like somebody with chronic illness, with like a disability. Yeah. And like there's an Anne is coming in with a little bit of this like um inspirational disabled person yes. kind of trope. And then Mrs. Smith is just like, girl, I want all the gossip. Like, give me the deets. And I've got my little Etsy business going on. Like, I'm good, you know? And it's, yeah, she has like a real personality and like, um, yeah. You get, yeah, you get the sense that she's not just there as um, some point to further the story. Um, I mean, she does she she does kind of act as as a device in some of the plot and um contrasting with the characters and stuff but she she's given enough of a personality that does, it doesn't feel like she's just like a trope you know right um, i i got the feeling that if she was um if this was set today she would like have a huge twitter following yes she would be like She'd be like, yes, I'm housebound for the most part. She'd be like, making videos on TikTok and yes. like, ha yeah, she's she's still. Um, yeah, I loved I loved the idea of like, yeah, if this was like modern day, she'd be like watching reality TV. Like this is her her getting the gossip from the from the wealthy people around town is like watching Real Housewives. <laughs> she's like, yes, I need something to do during the day. Like, um. Yeah, it's really funny and fun. So one of the 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 ladies, especially that she likes to hear about, is Mrs. Wallace. Yes, um, who is like a well-to-do lady who I think has been um, uh, at a lot of the dinners and stuff with the Elliots, right? Uh. Like, we, so this is like a connection that they I because I think we've heard about Mrs. Wallace like at the Lady Dalrymples. Maybe that's but they're all like in this same circle and she's a very wealthy woman so she gets funny stories about mrs wallace and then of course yeah. here's the gossip from mrs wallace about all of the other rich people in town so yes um yeah it's fun it's um, exciting um also i forgot to say that sir walter is like very upset that Anne is going there because um the street that uh, Mrs. Smith lives on is too narrow for even a carriage to go down. And right. that's just a sign of like a bad neighborhood. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, 
yeah, Nurse Smith. Uh, I mean, Nurse. Why do I always want to say Nurse Smith? I feel like I just in my mind combine Nurse Rook with Mrs. Smith. Anyway, yeah. I really love them both, even though we don't really hear that much of Mrs. Rook. No, Nurse Smith. Can you tell I haven't had any sleep? <laughs> Mrs. Smith and Nurse Rook. Yeah. yeah. You don't really hear anything like from Nurse Rook herself. She's not there when I don't think when Mrs. Smith and Anne talk, but just from what I hear about her, she sounds delightful and mm-hmm. wonderful. Like just taking care of Mrs. Smith, like in her spare time. Yeah. Nurse and again, out. this is like another glance into, you know, this lower class, this, yeah. uh, this, um, you know, servants and, and people who are in serving industry or um, people who are disabled and, or, you know, they live in, on the other side of town in the small apartments. Um, so, which, yeah, we don't see as much in other novels um, and, and seeing them interact. Um, and, and the, you know, obviously we get this juxtaposition of like visiting Mrs. Smith versus visiting Mrs. Dalrymple and the, the virtues or non-virtues that each of them have and then the way that her family treats them. So it is used in that way as like a device to show like how great of a person Anne is and how terrible her family is and how they treat Mrs. Smith, you know. Yeah. Also, it shows that like how Anne feels about Mrs. Clay isn't just like some hoity-toity like class Mm. issue it's like she really doesn't like mrs clay as a person because she's fine with people who like don't have as much money or or status in life right yeah and the fact that she's you know Anne is coming and it's not like she's coming for charity, you no. know, for to like, oh, I feel pity for her. And, you know, she's had in such hard circumstances, so I should come visit her. And like, you know, like she's coming and they're having tea and they're talking and they're gossiping and they're having a great time. Yeah, it seems like she came like it said the first few minutes of her first visit were like a little bit awkward because it also had been like over 10 years since everything since they had seen each other and yeah. um and now they were so old like Anne is 27 and Mrs. Smith is an ancient 31 which mm-hmm. when Sir Walter finds out he rounds up to 40 and he keeps saying yes. that Mrs. Smith is 40 and she's <laughs> like what is she 40 like oh god <laughs> yeah um and it's like uh she's 31 he's like between 30 and 40 as I said she's like 40 <laughs> years old yeah um yeah it's like at at the very beginning they're like a little bit awkward but then she's like going over like it's only it's like the fourth time she's over in a couple weeks when when her dad finds out so it's like quite often she's visiting yeah yeah she's going a lot in the evenings and yeah so um I thought um, I was thinking, too, that, you know, there's this interesting contrast in these chapters, you know, when we're and in the whole novel, really, about um, there's so much like death and bereavement in a lot of this novel. And it's kind of under the surface. Um, But, you know, we have 
people being widowed or widowered or whatever the correct term is. We've got so many widows, dead spouses. We've, yes. We've got um, dead mothers. There's a lot of death and illness and, um, yeah, bereavement all under the the surface of what's happening in this novel. Um and you see how different characters treat it or or relate to it or avoid it. Like I see, you know, in the case of Mrs. Smith, like this is somebody who is very she's very comfortable talking about her own illness, about her own situation. Um she doesn't shy away from like what death means or um, what her own disability means. Like she's very frank about talking about it. Um, whereas somebody like Sir Walter or Elizabeth or this other side, it's, you know, this obsession with vanity and youth. It's, you know, it really comes down to this wanting to avoid death, the inevitability of growing old, of of dying and like what that means um even in even in just the the way that you would try to go after fortune and power and titles all of this obsession on those things that it's like at the end of the day you're gonna die and you can't take any of that stuff with you you know what i mean like i just see so much of this contrast and and um, in these novels. And then I also can't help but think about Jane Austen at the end of her life, because this is the last novel she completed. And I don't know if she was sick yet when she was writing this novel, but I, you know, at least very soon after this, she herself, um, becomes sick and, and, and dies young. Um, not young back then. Ancient, according Four, to Sir Walter. 40. What is she, 40? She's like 40 or 41 something when she dies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, young enough that she, she could have, yeah. you know, we could have gotten many, many more novels. Um, but, yeah, it's just such an interesting, again, one of the the ways in which I feel like this novel is just, obviously, it's her most mature. It's She wrote... This is her last full one. Um, She's older when she writes this. And so these kind of really existential uh, themes are are really throughout this when you kind of peel away the surface layers of like the romance and the gossip and all of the that stuff that's going on. I just feel find that that really present in so much of this. That's a good point, because I feel like similarly to Mrs. Smith, like Admiral Croft and and Mrs. Croft have that similar, seem to have that same approach to life and also death, where like Admiral Croft like is like, like I said, he's like talked about as being like kind of weather beaten, like his skin is very leathery from being outside in the sun and the storms all the time and much to the chagrin of Sir Walter, who's like trying to apply various uh, creams and pastes to him and his family to keep them like young looking. And you don't get that sense from Admiral Croft and his wife that like, 
um, you know, they're, they just take life as it is together. And like when they overturn in a carriage, they're, they're, they're fine in that. And they're just like, they just yeah. like take everything kind of head on. And, um, and also like being in the Navy and like seeing uh, the amount of bloodshed that he and his like fellow officers and sailors have had, then I feel like that also gives them a different perspective where, I feel like it seems like everyone is fine with like rebound relationships back then. It was like much more appropriate to like get married pretty soon after like your fiance or your spouse died. But like, I don't know. I can't help but wonder if like, you know, Captain Bennick and the Harvels and Captain Wentworth and the cross like have been through experiences where like people they loved died or you know there was yeah i mean they realities, were at war. yeah realities changed constantly and you couldn't be certain about anything so i feel yeah. like it changes their approach to life in a way that um sir walter doesn't have right you know the yeah they they all of these navy men they have been in real war they've seen probably seen all kinds of stuff and they probably have had friends and and colleagues and um, people who were uh, they were uh, captaining, you know, people beneath them yeah. who died. And um, yeah, I think this novel being set during this time period where it's now a peacetime um, after all that has happened, it's, yeah, you see these characters really just like clinging to, we got to make the best of this time that we've got and we can't worry about the little stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is really refreshing and lovely and, and, uh, yeah, a a major contrast to the way that Sir Elliot's in this other upper class. And it really, it's, it is like this ultimate critique of yeah. this upper class of society of like, look at the things that you're worrying about and you're miserable. Yes. <laughs> worrying about whose house you're allowed to visit and, uh, you know, are you can you fit your carriage down the street? And like, it's like, really, guys, life is short. We're all going to die. Like, you know... Yeah, it's it's really the, these profound sentiments just right under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there's, not to bring it back to like cult life, but I feel like there's a way I really relate to that. Like, I feel like I don't want to like appropriate other people's experiences, but often when I try and explain to my outside friends, like the connection I have with people that I grew up with in the cult. I'm like, it it feels like we went to battle together and we're like out of it. And we're like at the VA and we're drinking our beers and we don't even need to talk about like what we went through. We just need to like be near each other sometime. Yeah. Um, and that definitely, I don't know. It's just like how I think about it. And sometimes that makes me feel like a little bit more like devil may care about life or death. But sometimes it, I don't know, it just like warps sometimes how you're feeling about life. 
and we're like sometimes I feel like so excited that like I have this second life that I mm-hmm. can live that's like outside of the church and like feels so freeing and I feel like almost giddy about it um but other times I'm just like oh my god I've been through so much trauma I don't know how like how I'm gonna <laughs> keep going yeah 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 there's definitely a bit of a pendulum pendulum swing um yeah. it also makes me think about for me like when you're leaving not just a community and and sort of this really insular thing where you're like bonded there's just like this incredible bond like you were talking about but you're leaving these very personal beliefs about like the afterworld and death and what that means and so you know for me like stripping those things away and coming to a place where I'm feel much more like an atheist agnostic kind of spot where I'm like, I don't know that there is anything else after this. Yeah. And that thought is actually very freeing. Yes. Yeah. It's actually just like, oh, because before when I thought there was a certain level of expectations you had to live up to in order to like have something after it's just this weight and it's this living in fear and without that it's like oh this weight that's lifted and this way that you really do get to determine your own faith and like I can live my life in a way that feels good and right in this moment I don't have to wait for later like it just changes yeah. the whole way that you interact with the world and the way that you take chances. And it, yeah, it very much feels like this, you know, um, making peace with death in a, in a way that's very, very different from needing to feel like there's some sort of afterlife or some sort of um, reward at the end, you know? Yeah. Uh, I definitely feel feel the same way and and it's weird to think of like not believing as like so exciting but I definitely felt that sense of relief where it felt like before life felt like kind of like a complicated algebra question where you always had to get something right and stay on the right side of the equation and or it's like or you're playing like the video game and you can't like and, like, I'm terrible at video games. And so I, like, keep falling off the side of the Rainbow Road on Mario Kart. And it's just, like, um, yeah, it just felt like this rubric that you always were struggling against. And then to realize that there's, like, n- no rules is just, like, the sense of relief that I have. Also, it, like, opened up the world to the sense that, like, it's more magical to me. Like, mm-hmm. like the idea that like humans can exist and on this planet and we're like, Sunny, I was just talking about this with my husband and my brother-in-law. We were like, I was like, I don't even like butterflies exist and trees exist. And like all of this just like exists and we're here in this moment. And that's like very exciting. Yeah. And, um, it just, it makes me like appreciate that magic a little bit more. I think so too. And it's also kind of like this permission to enjoy things now. Yeah. <laughs> to enjoy your life and to enjoy all of the beautiful things in the world and to 
you know, because before it was like always this delayed gratification. It's like yeah. suffer now and then you'll get the good stuff later. And it's like, no, you don't have time to wait for later. Maybe there is no later. Like enjoy yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah. And Do it's like the, the things. Yeah. It's like the chaos feels like friendly and magical and like yeah. there's a place for you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize this would take us there, but I'm so happy you brought that up. <laughs> so um, deep, Jane Austen. People oh don't my know. God. People just think it's about, you know, having tea in fancy houses. <laughs> Those people are silly and they have not heard the, they have not been exposed to the word. <laughs> The word of Jane. The word of Jane. Book of Jane. Looking for the perfect gift? Why not shop homemade and support a local artist? Visit Mrs. Smith's Etsy store for homemade thread cases, pin cushions, and card racks. A portion of all proceeds go to help support local families in need. Order online from anywhere or get local delivery from Nurse Rook outside the Wallace's apartments. I don't even know if I can, I don't know if I can pick a favorite line from me. I feel like, I think it might just be the phrase, the shapeless old cockle shell. <laughs> That's great. Which again, I just like want to apologize on behalf of all, all painters that he's upset about because I've definitely painted a ship or drawn a person with like missing bones or like I draw animals all the time and I'm like, your neck wouldn't support itself in real life. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it's artistic yeah. license. <laughs> yeah. Although, although like just the whole of Mary's letter is also just wonderful. Yes. She's like, don't, don't the Harvels miss their children? And then by the way, I could totally drop my kids off for like a month yeah. or two. <laughs> Do you have any favorite lines? Um, I really liked the, you know, along these lines of what we were talking about with uh, Mrs. Smith, where she's, you know, Anne is is being a little bit, uh, you know, this inspirational, like, oh, you know, she must see so many things, the, the nurse and how she hears about this nurse who's attended to people who are sick and dying and Anne's turning it into this like really noble thing. And then Mrs. Smith is like, mm, actually she has this, that nice paragraph. Um, she's like, and she's like, though, I fear it's, it's lessons are not often in the elevated style you describe. And at the end she goes, there is so little real friendship in the world. And unfortunately speaking low and tremulously, there are so many who forget to think seriously till it is almost too late. <sighs> the stories you could tell Mrs. Smith. Yeah. I'm listening. <laughs> I also love Mr. Uh, Sir Walter when he says, um, when he's complaining about Mrs. Smith and he says, oh, Mrs. Smith, 
a widow, Mrs. Smith, and who was her husband, one of five, the 5,000 Mr. Smiths whose names are to be met with everywhere, and what is her attraction, that is, she is old and sickly. Upon my word, Miss Anne Elliot, you have the most extraordinary taste. Everything that revolts other people, low company, paltry rooms, foul air, disgusting associations are inviting to you. But surely you may put off this old lady till tomorrow. She is not so near her end, I presume, that she may hope to see another day. What is her age? Forty? Yeah. <laughs> and then Anna says, no, sir, she is not one in 30. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just the best. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Makes me excited to read more. Yeah. As always. Um, have you read or watched or listened to anything else? Um, lately? I am reading a new book by Rainbow Rowell. Um, I've never heard this person. She's uh, mostly a YA author. Okay. Um, so she, she does like YA, like romance, basically. Um, or like new adults, like her, her oldest characters are some, or are like, you know, college age or, um, but her stories, like reading her stories, it feels very much like a romantic comedy. Like they're light, they're funny, um, they're sweet. Uh, so this this her new book is called Shatter, um, Scattered Showers, and it's a, a short story collection. Hmm. Um, so the uh, so it's been fun. Again, it's like it's it's like these light, sweet, like teen romances. Um, and I've been having fun with it because, yeah, they're they're nice. That's good. Yeah. And the cover um, of the book has a, a pretty rainbow on it. <laughs> I just Googled her name. And yeah, that's a really pretty cover. Yeah. Um, I just finished Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Mm. She wrote March. And oh, yes. a few, Yeah, The Year of Wonders and a bunch of other books. Yes. And I have a lot of complicated feelings about this book. So it's a book about a racehorse from just before the Civil War. Okay. Named Lexington. And apparently this horse was real. And it was like, yeah, he was like one of the like first big racehorses and like his progeny, like, he like sired a bunch of other racehorses. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's like a book about him, but like also about the black talent, like the trainers and the jockeys and mm -hmm. all this like black talent that was around in both the North and the South before the Civil War that like kind of created that like helped birth the modern horse racing movement. Um, yeah. And like, how their history has been um, negated over time on on purpose by like white people. Yeah. Um, and I really liked most of that story mm -hmm. a lot. I feel like I'm not really, I love horses. I'm not really into racing horses, especially because in modern times, like there's like the track that's near me, the Santa Anita track, like 
dozens of horses have died on that track, like just in like the past couple years alone, like oh, they no. were actually shut down for a short time. Like horse racing today is like so dangerous for the horses. And I feel like I also just don't believe I'm just such a hippie at heart. I don't believe in like spending like thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars on like animals. I right. just feel like that's like, even if you're taking good care of the animal, I feel like that's like weird and cruel. And I'm like, just not into it. Um, and like the business of animals is just weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's so many ways for that to be nefarious. Right. Um, and yeah, so, but I really like that part of the story. It is one of those books that like, there's like a lot of different timelines and a lot of different characters and it jumps back and forth. And I feel like that is just like so popular these days and I'm a little bit tired of it. And I a little bit wish she just like kept with that timeline of Lexington and Jarrett, who was like essentially his trainer, Mm -hmm. um, who was enslaved. Um, Because I really like that because it also jumps forward in time to now. And I feel like sometimes it felt like, um, I always want to call her Gwendolyn, but it's Geraldine. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, I'm like Admiral Croft. I'm like, (laughs) they all should be named Sophie. Um, I feel like she tries to put, she tries to like talk about the whole of like, black culture and politics and where we are Uh, now and where we were then in like in like this one novel right and so I feel like some of the voices I feel like should have either been cut out or left um or like or the novel should have been like twice as long and this is like she's like a a white woman writing about this and so sometimes it feels a little bit um forced and like a couple of the black characters feel like they're not allowed to have any um they're not allowed to have any flaws because they have to be perfect to like showcase like how bad the white people around them are and it's like I don't know I just feel like in her desire to like show the plight of some of these characters I feel like it, she ends up doing a bit of a disservice to them. And yeah. like. Um, tri- it's a tricky thing. It's so fucking tricky. You would, I was I, like. I feel like as, as a writer, like to try and attempt something like that, like you'd have to really. I mean, to do it well anyway, and to, to really counteract those types of biases and things like you really yeah. have to have some really good editing some really good um uh what is it called it's like content um bias readers uh, who are you know specifically hired to like look at those types of things like (laughs) and it seems like she might have had that because she like thinks she thinks some people in her um in her acknowledgments and I'm like it was a good book and I wasn't sure like if I was just being weird about it because that was like my own bias or something or like Mm -hmm. maybe this was bringing out something in me that I was like that I needed to look at and so I was like trying to 
I was trying to Google like reviews of her book and most of them are like very, very um, complimentary, but also like most of the reviews were by white people. And then some of the reviews that were complaining about the book or not as favorable, they were like by people who like seemed a little bit racist themselves and they were like, why is she, why is she like talking about these issues like that? Like, um, she's just trying to seem woke and I'm like, Oh God, And it's not that I agree with you. And I did see like a couple just like reviews here and there, like on Goodreads by people of color who were like, yeah, this is kind of like a white lady talking about racism to other white ladies. And it's like a little bit, um, it's like not really for me. Um, so yeah, it was complicated. I was just like, dude, if you're talking about the civil war, like don't also try and bring up like George Floyd in this. I'm like, and like, yeah, I'm like, just, uh, <laughs> this just is above like, your pay grade. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, this is like a pretty good book. If you just like stick with, I also feel like it's a little bit of a crutch and this is, I just feel like it's a little bit of a crutch to just like do the like, oh my gosh, isn't it fantastic that we have all these different timelines and they all magically line up together because it's all about this one horse and it's this one thread that runs through this whole book. And it's like, yeah, there's a thread running through everything because you invented this thread. It's like, (laughs) it's like, I just want to, it feels a little bit like, like I said, a crutch and I get irritated by it sometimes <laughs> although people do it really really well yeah and I'm I just wish that I could have edited it and had it center more on this one story because it was obvious she did so much research about like as I said about the racing and and the ideas of race in the civil war mm-hmm. and I felt like it just didn't need all the extras and I'm sorry I just talked like so much about this book but you know I just (laughs) finished it the other day and I'm just like it's been really rainy in LA so I've just been stuck at home with my husband who's like somehow convinced that I talk a lot which (laughs) I don't know I only have a podcast where that's the main Like, I know I feel like I should have given more details about my book. Now I'm like, oh, I can't no, like go on this very like detailed thing. I'm like, oh, I let me like, tell you more about my short stories that I just read. I've read like other things and I've like watched a lot of stuff lately. Um, like I started Home Alone 2. I actually started Home Alone 4 as well, which is like so bad. I've, I've watched all the Home Alones with my kids. Even several four? times. Even, well, we only watched four once. Yeah, that was, I didn't finish it, but it was. Bad. <laughs> even my friend that like. Two I was is trying, great. I love two. Two is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm like really happy with it. It's just that we stopped watching it because it like, it was like midnight and we're old people. And we yeah. had to go to bed. Tim um, Curry is the hotel mayor. Oh Come on. God. Maggie Smith is in it. Maggie Smith. <laughs> it's amazing and it's new york and the plaza yeah um my mom took me to the plaza once we were nearby and like i had to use the bathroom and she was like oh let's go into the plaza because it's really fancy and i remember going in there and just being like bowled over 
and I, I wash my, I remember washing my hands in the sink and saying out loud, when I grow up, I want to be rich so I can use these bathrooms all the time. And there was like this other lady in the bathroom and she was trying so hard not to laugh. And yeah. <laughs> She's like, we don't no, Nobody actually uses these bathrooms that live here. Yeah. We just, we're all walking off the street using the bathrooms. <laughs> it reminds me of like, that's what our parents would do when they were out fundraising Yeah, and they needed a break or they had to use the bathroom. You find a hotel. My mom would tell me about the hours she wasted in hotels, in hotel lobbies. <sighs> I just found out that like a lot of the hotels around me are like where prosti- the, there's huge prostitution rings or something. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I've always wondered why there were like so many hotels on this street. Like we're not a big city, like, or we, right. we're a decent sized city, but I was like, there's so many hotels in this neighborhood and they're all like these similar mom and pop, like they don't look great, but they don't look like too shabby, most of them. Anyway, it's amazing what happens like under your nose when you're not aware of it. (laughs) My mom used to tell me stories about, she lived like around 42nd Street, you know, back in the 70s when it was like not a good place (laughs) to live. And um, there were like sex workers that just like lived on her block all the time. She would walk by them. She like got to know their names and stuff. And she said like, you know, these women like looked out for each other and like yeah. said, she said, I always felt the most unsafe in that neighborhood whenever um, the, the, it was eerily quiet. Yes. Like, and she realized that all the sex workers were gone because the police had just come in and done a big raid or something. Oh. And so then she was like, I always got so nervous on these days because you you realize that like these women are out here and they're like, it's just eyes the on eyes the and ears of the neighborhood. Yes. And yeah. they're looking out for people. And my mom was like, I always felt safe when they were around. Yeah. And then when they would get picked up. And there would be like one day where everyone's was gone. You were like, oh, I got to watch my back now. You know? Yeah. It was interesting. Wow. Um, wait, do we have to do anything else before we wrap up? Um, we just got to do the intro thing and be like, yeah, oh, right. we're so excited for, for next chapters. I am excited though. I am too. It's very exciting. This podcast was edited, produced, and uh, music by me, Laurel Nakai. The artwork is by Akina Cox. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Get in touch with us at janeaustinculturenight at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok or Twitter at janecultpod and uh, leave us a review. Say something nice. Um, pay it forward, you know? We'll see you next time. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Sorry, I have the most squeaky chair ever right now. (laughs)